this uh, last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, one of the messages that I taught was on resurrection power. And I don't know about you, but even as Kyle prayed, and he prayed for me, he doesn't even know what the message is going to be today, but he was praying that God would give me that power. And I need it. I am dependent upon God's power in my life. I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't stand up here and teach. You can't serve as an usher in the back unless you are filled with God's Holy Spirit in a way that will glorify God anyway. We need God's Spirit and we need the power of His Holy Spirit in our lives. As a matter of fact, I believe it's probably one of the, the, the very greatest needs that much of the church today needs to have. We need to have an understanding of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We sang a song, we need you. We need you. And we need his power. And how we get that power is by his Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that this morning. I titled this morning's message, But You Shall Receive Power. I came to have an understanding of the Holy Spirit in my own life in a deeper way later on in my Christian walk. There are a lot of Christians that can go on for a long time Serving the Lord, they love Jesus, they love God, they know of the Holy Spirit, but they fall short when it comes to understanding how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your heart individually and work in the church through the gifts of the Spirit, through whatever way that the Holy Spirit is our power source. And how many of you this morning would tell me, I need God's power every single day in my life. Power to say no to sin, power to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I need that power in my life. Raise your hand if you need more of it. I do. We need God's Holy Spirit in full measure overflowing in our lives if we want to be victorious Christians, if we want to be a witness for Christ, I can't be dependent on myself, my own flesh. I need to be dependent upon His Holy Spirit. And so with that, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 8 this morning. We read in verse 1, Luke, by the way, wrote this account. He also wrote the, uh, the Gospel of Luke. He's writing to a, a, a friend and a man by the name of Theophilus. He says in the first verse of Acts 1, he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which Jesus was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom Jesus also presented himself alive 
after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. When we learned this, or we heard it again anyway, last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that when Jesus came out of that tomb, he didn't come out of that tomb like a phantom. He came out of that tomb alive. It was a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came out of that tomb in a tangible body that could be touched, it could be felt. And he proved that he was alive, as Luke wrote here, by many infallible proofs. He showed himself alive to many people on many occasions, and he did it over the course of a 40-day period. He did that for you and I. He did that so that this world would never be able to say, we don't know for sure if he really came out of that tomb. He came out of that tomb bodily. He made contact with his disciples and with many other. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, 500 people saw him alive after he had risen from the dead. Many infallible proofs. Jesus... He commanded his disciples after the resurrection. He commanded his disciples when it came to the end of that 40 days that they were to go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Now remember that they had arrived there in Jerusalem for Passover. Passover was the beginning of the feast and they would go through these various uh, feast that would follow that and it would end 50 days later with Pentecost. They were there gathered for these feasts. Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. They didn't even really know what that meant. They had no clue really what that was going to look like. We read in verse 4 to 5 the command that Jesus gave to them to go and wait for this promise. We read in verse 6 and 7 that the disciples, they asked Jesus a final question before he ascended up into heaven. And then in verse 8, Jesus gives a promise with a final word and a command to his disciples the promise is to you that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I don't know what your understanding is of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. I don't know what, what your understanding is. You might believe in the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you might have that understanding, but I believe that the Holy Spirit and our understanding of that work in our life is critical to your power over sin and your witness as a powerful witness as a, a Christian. Look what it says in verse 4. Jesus, it says, being assembled together with them, he's speaking of his disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. 
Many would come to Jerusalem. Many would come to gather for the feast. And some of them would go back home. They would travel back home. He's telling his disciples, he's commanding them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, and here it is, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And being assembled together with them. Verse 4. It, it could read this way. And sitting down having a meal together, Jesus began to speak these things to his disciples. We might say he was giving them some final instructions before he was going to ascend back to his father from the Mount of Olives. The first part of Jesus' command in verse 4 was, do not depart from Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was preparing his disciples to fulfill the Great Commission to send them out into this world and, and to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth to go make disciples of all nations is what the Great Commission is. He also told them the place he wants them to start in. He says, I want you to start in Jerusalem by spreading the gospel there and that it would then spread out to the region of Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. And that is still happening today in the church. We need to be obedient when God gives us a command. These disciples were receiving a command from the Lord just as you and I have received a command from the Lord to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus says, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. It's not just the disciples that got that great commission. That great commission, that command goes out to you and I today that we're to go and make disciples. This second part of his command in verse 4 is for them to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus is speaking here of the Holy Spirit. To wait for the promise of the Father. How many of you like to wait? I don't think I do. But good things come when you wait. Have you ever noticed that? You wait on the Lord, and often we see that good things come. 
You ever tried to venture out and just get ahead of the Lord and it comes a mess? You know, but good things come for those who will wait upon the Lord. The timing for this promise of the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't happen for 10 more days. That's how long they'd have to wait. 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, the day of Pentecost would come. That feast that they partook of, this wasn't anything new to them. He says, go back into Jerusalem and I want you to wait until you receive the promise of the Father. I have to think that when these disciples made their way to Jerusalem and possibly went into that upper room as they were waiting, waiting for the promise of the Father, not really understanding exactly what that was. But maybe they were thinking to themselves, is this it? Is this when he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth? This is what we've been waiting for. An established kingdom on earth. That he would set us free from our oppressors. Those Romans that have oppressed us. Is this it? Is this the promise that he's talking about? But you remember what happened? Ten days later. They were there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And there's something that happened in that upper room. 120 of them that were there. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, the Apostle Peter on that day, was a transformed Peter. He stood up on the day of Pentecost. He stood to his feet and began to preach the message of the Gospel to a multitude of people who were there still for the feast. We know that we read in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 plus people gave their life, came to believe in Jesus Christ, gave their life to Christ that day. And we know that they even went on and they were water baptized. We're going to do that today. They were water baptized after they first received Jesus as Lord, and then they were water baptized. Remember Peter before Pentecost? Remember how Peter denied the Lord? Remember he was probably still reeling from that. And now we see Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's what we need. It's what he needed. And he stood to his feet and he preached a powerful message under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, they didn't see the bigger picture yet. Jesus knew the bigger picture. He knew that changes were coming for the disciples. He knew that they lacked understanding even about what was about to take place of the promise of the Father coming. He knew they didn't get it yet. And aren't you glad? We don't often get it, do we? We don't often have a clear understanding of all things. And our Lord is so patient with us. But I want us to all this morning to have a clearer 
understanding of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's going to be leaving soon, ascending to his Father. And, and, he, and he knew that there was actually going to be a greater work after his ascension. Not because it was going to be greater in power. Look at the miracles and the work that Jesus did while he was here on earth. And so it wasn't going to be greater in power. It wasn't going to be greater in, the, in impact but it was going to, or magnitude. But it was going to be in the scope of what the work of the Holy Spirit was going to be able to do through the church. Jesus knew that when he departed and went to his father that he would send the Holy Spirit upon the church and it would be a powerful witness. Then it's multiplied. It's not just Jesus anymore and those disciples falling. It's you and I. Jesus said in verse 4, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, this promise that Jesus was speaking about, it actually wasn't something new. They had heard Jesus speak about it before. They also had heard John the Baptist speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That would be ten days later. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 3, verse 11, we read this account about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, he knew this coming day, he knew this day was coming, that the baptizer of the Holy Spirit would come. It says, I indeed baptize you with water as those people were coming out to him in the Jordan River. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, John's baptism of repentance, people coming out and repenting of their sin, well, John's baptism of repentance was going to be different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the church was going to need. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, verse 29, we read that when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River, we're told that he saw Jesus one day coming towards him. And John said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man, speaking of Jesus, who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, John says, but that I should, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. That was my mission. That was what I was called to do. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John understood his role. John understood that another baptizer was coming. This baptizer, Jesus Christ, would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I need that. I need that kind of power in my life. And all of you that raised your hand, you're telling me you need that power also in your life. We also read in John chapter 14, this was the night before Jesus would go to the cross. Jesus was sitting with his disciples. He was speaking with his disciples. He had that Passover meal with his disciples that night. He says to them that evening, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, listen closely to this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And do you believe that? Anything according to his name, according to God's will, God will do it. If you love me, Jesus says to his disciples, he says it to you and I this morning. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he, this he I believe is the Holy Spirit, may abide with you forever. You need that Holy Spirit. I need that Holy Spirit in my life. I need that helper in my life. You need the helper in your life. He refers to it, he calls it, Jesus says, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. And I want you, if you have a writing with anything, mark your Bible. But you know him, he says, for he will dwell with you and he will be in you. Underline those words. They're important. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more because he was going to ascend up into heaven. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. All that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you see the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and I? 
Just, just think of these words that he's saying to his disciples that night. Sometimes people just put God in a box. He's in the church building. Sometimes, you know, they, they, they just think of God as some untouchable God that's out there. But they don't think in terms of how intimate and personal that he wants to be with us. He wants to have that close relationship with you and I. It sounds so personal, the way that he's speaking here. In verse 17, Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be with you. If I, if I told you, let's go for a walk. Let's go take a walk. And I was walking alongside you. I would just be walking out and we'd be taking a walk together. He says, I'll be with you. And that's the Greek word, para. It's our English word, with. I will be with you. Para is in the Greek, which means to come alongside. That he comes alongside us. When the disciples walked with Jesus, he was walking alongside them. Para. This is how the Holy Spirit works. Even in this world. He came into this world and he leads people to him. The Holy Spirit does that work of drawing people to himself. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. But the Holy Spirit is here in this world. We also see in verse 17 the words in you. He shall be in you. In other words, this is a different way of understanding the Holy Spirit. He's not just coming alongside us, but he shall be in you. He shall live inside of you. It's the Greek word en, E-N, which means to indwell, indwell with inside of us. The Apostle Paul speaks in Corinthians about a believer being the temple of the living God. How could we be a temple? Because we actually house the Holy Spirit of God with inside of us. Paul said in the book of Romans, if that same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, he will give life to your body by his spirit that dwells in you. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do you have the spirit of God dwelling in you? It's what we might call, and what Jesus called, being born again. His spirit coming in and taking your dead spirit and making you alive by his Holy Spirit. He needs and he wants to come and be in you. The Holy Spirit indwelling the disciples. It happened in John chapter 20, the day that Jesus he rose from the dead. He came to his disciples where they were gathered, possibly in that upper room. And we're told that Jesus came and he stood in their midst. And he said to the disciples in that moment, he says, peace be with you. And when Jesus had said this, we're told that he showed them his hands he showed them his side to assure them it was he. And then we're told the disciples 
were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to his disciples again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you, he said to them. And when he had, and listen to this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. Do you think they received it? If Jesus says, Receive the Holy Spirit, do you think they received it? I believe they did. This was going to be something new. This is something they'd never experienced before. They were now receiving the Holy Spirit. He was now dwelling inside of them. Jesus knew he was going to be ascending to his Father. He was going to send them a helper. He was going to send the Holy Spirit that would not just be coming alongside them, but would be in them, dwelling in them. If you're here this morning and you're born again, then you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. The first time that we see God breathing into man goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created man from the dust of the earth. And we're told in chapter 2, verse 7, that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And we're told that he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Wow, the giver of life. Breathing into the nostrils of Adam so that he would become a, a living soul. We need God's Holy Spirit in our life. You see, a person that doesn't know Christ, the Bible says that they're dead spiritually. When we invite God's Holy Spirit into our hearts, He takes your dead spirit and regenerates your dead spirit by His Holy Spirit. Jesus, in that moment with His disciples, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God came and and dwelt within them in that moment. For he will dwell with you and will be in you. Two different things. Just like God breathing into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, his disciples now, as Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They did. We come to verse 6 in Acts here where Jesus and his disciples had come together again. Possibly now on the Mount of Olives. The place where Jesus would ascend back to his Father. And they had another question for him. It says in verse 6, Therefore, when they, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We have to wonder, 
what the disciples were thinking. I've, I've already said something of this, but I think they were thinking that this kingdom, restoring the kingdom of Israel, was going to be the fulfillment of what they thought the Old Testament prophets said would come to pass. A kingdom here on earth. A kingdom that would deliver them. A kingdom where God would set himself up on the throne of David. And you know what? In all of their thinking, they were correct. They just didn't have the interpretation and the timing correct. Because you see, there is coming that day. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. That's yet future. It will come. That will come to pass. But what Jesus was speaking to them here was more of a spiritual kingdom. The king had already come. He had already rid, rode into Jerusalem on the back of that colt. They just didn't get it. They just didn't quite understand it. But they would. Their thinking was wrong about the kingdom. It wasn't wrong. It was just their interpretation of it. The timing of it. You see... The Bible says that unless you are born again, you will never see nor will you ever enter into the kingdom of God. That's yet future. That's a future time. The kingdom of God, you'll never see it nor will you ever enter into it unless, and these are Jesus' words, you are born again, born from above, spiritual rebirth, unless that happens. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Times here refers to the passing of time. And seasons here refers to an appointed time. And so Jesus is saying, you're not going to know when the kingdom of God is coming to his disciples. So don't, in essence, don't worry about it. And it's really the same way for us as Christians. We don't know the day or the hour as Christians that I believe in a rapture and I believe the Lord is going to take the church. We don't know the day or the hour of that, do we? We're to be watching and we're to be ready as a church. We need to remember the disciples believed from their own scriptures that the Messiah would come. That wasn't the question. It's just they looked at it like a political and a military kingdom that Jesus was going to set up here on earth. He would come and rule and reign. And we will be with him. And that's what he thought. they thought he was speaking of. Remember when Jesus started his public ministry? Do you remember the first words out of his mouth? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All along, those disciples were waiting for this kingdom to arrive. They were, they were looking for a physical kingdom that in their day, in their time, right now, set up your kingdom here in Jerusalem. Go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. When Jesus gave that great commission in Matthew 28 
and in Mark 16 and in Luke 24. It wasn't a command just to the disciples. It was to each and every one of us that are here. We need to know him. And when you know him and when the Lord has saved you, you take on that command to go into this world and make disciples. This is what Jesus was wanting to work in them. Many people say this next verse is a key verse to the book of Acts. I would say it's one of, if not the key verse to the book of Acts. If you look at your Bible right now, you might notice that the heading on the book of Acts says, the Acts of the Apostles. Is that how your Bible might read? I believe that a better title for this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. If you want to know how powerful the Holy Spirit is for your life and how the Holy Spirit can work through your life, just spend time reading 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Look at all the occasions that these people were filled with the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit that God was doing through the church. It's powerful. That's what we need. Look at verse 8. But you shall receive power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He breathed on them. In John 20, 22, it said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them to go back into the city and wait for the promise of the Father. They're indwelt now with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of them. And now he tells them, I want you to go back into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father. We have another word that we see here in Acts 1.8. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. He is with us. That's para. He wants to dwell in us. And he also wants to come upon us. That's the Greek word epi. It's a different word. God's Holy Spirit coming upon you. I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus knew that they needed and he knows that you and I need the power of his Holy Spirit in our life. We need supernatural power. Too many times we try to work out our Christian walk in our own strength. We try to be a witness for Jesus Christ in our own words and our own strength. And many of us have been frustrated with that. And then there's those times where we know and we say, you know what, that wasn't me. I know that was the Lord. The Lord did this through me. The Lord gave me the words to speak in the moment. I, I sensed his power. He gave me what I needed in the moment. 
He allowed me to say no to sin. He gave me the power to say no to sin. I'm living a Christian walk from victory to victory because of His power in my life, not my own. He wants to come upon you. He wants to come upon us. He wants this church to be a church that is dependent on the Holy Spirit, corporately and as an individual. The English word power comes from the Greek word dunamis. This dunamis power that Jesus is talking about here is a dynamic power. We get our English word dynamite, an explosive power, a power that is, is beyond ourselves. That's the kind of power that God wants to pour out upon you. It's that power that will allow us to be a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. It's that power that was demonstrated from the lips of Peter. It wasn't Peter. It was God's Holy Spirit through Peter preaching that message on that day. And 3,000 plus people gave their life to Christ. Work of God. You shall receive power. When? After the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's when you'll receive it. You already have him in you, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And all you have to do, as I already said, is go through the book of Acts. Look at the occasions as the Holy Spirit did something powerful and it says and the church was multiplying. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of man, not the work of good church planning, not trying to, you know, that's man's work. You see this power, it should be an overflowing power in our life. When God comes into your heart, when he comes in upon you in all power, he wants that to overflow in your life. He wants it to overflow upon other people. The fruit of the Spirit coming forth out of your life, a work of the Holy Spirit. He wants that to touch other people. He wants you to be full of his, over, uh, of his Holy Spirit, overflowing. Jesus one day was teaching his disciples on prayer. The disciples, they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. This is in Luke 11, 9. It says, so I say to you, Jesus says, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. He's teaching them to pray. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, 
Will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Jesus says to his disciples, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus takes this opportunity on prayer. If you will ask of me for my Holy Spirit, I will give it to you. To those who ask him. You have not because you ask not. If we want the Holy Spirit in all power, it needs to be a regular part of your prayer life. I had to pray that this morning. God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I can't do this apart from you. If you're teaching our children downstairs, you can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit in any powerful way. In John's Gospel in chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out this. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, listen, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had to leave before he would send that Holy Spirit upon the early church, upon these disciples. It'll flow from you like living water. At the Last Supper, when Jesus sat with his disciples and washed their feet. Again, we, we read it in John 14. I pray, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you. And will be in you. And then in verse 25 of that same chapter, it says, These things I have spoken to you while I was present with you, but the helper, and then he says who the helper is the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you, bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches you? Did you know that the Holy Spirit of God is what opens your eyes of understanding every time you open up the Word of God? Every time you look, He illuminates His Word in your heart by His Holy Spirit. God simply uses teachers to communicate, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that reveals truth to you. That same night, in John 15, Jesus said something else to his disciples about the Helper, about the Holy Spirit. 
He says in, in verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And then we read in John 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, again that same night, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's telling this to us. This is to your advantage that I leave and go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. How much do we need the helper? We need the helper. The helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he says, he will convict the world of sin. Work of the Holy Spirit. The sin of unbelief. And when the Holy Spirit comes of righteousness, the proof of Christ's righteousness and of judgment, the judgment to come. And this is really the threefold conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus goes on to say to them, I still, he says, I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. What I found in the time that I've been a Christian is that a lot of Christians get into a lot of theological debates about the work of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. And they, they differ. They, they, some of them get hung up on, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, this whole... You know, my question to all of us this morning is, don't get into the theological part of it, but do you have it? Do you have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you? And has the Holy Spirit of God come upon you and fills you to overflowing with His power by His Holy Spirit? That's what's important. Do you have it? Are you seeing victory over sin in your life? Are you experiencing that? You see, there's no sin that we struggle with that God can't give us deliverance from. He can free us from the bondage of sin, but we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And how many of us want to be a witness for Jesus Christ? But we're afraid. We feel we don't know enough. We don't have the boldness to do it. Do you know that that's the number one prayer of every Christian that attempts to go out witnessing? God, would you give me boldness? Why do we say that? Because we know that we lack it. Do you know where Holy Spirit boldness comes from? 
It comes from above. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you to be a witness, He'll give you the words to speak. You'll be saying things that you will know are not of myself. It's God. That's the way we should operate as Christians. That's how dependent we should be upon Him and His Holy Spirit. In closing, my prayer for each of you this morning is that you'd have a better understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But not just understanding, but that you would be filled to overflowing with God's Spirit even today. That you'd be led of the Holy Spirit you ever sense being led by the Holy Spirit? He's actually directing you. You're going about your day. And the Holy Spirit is actually leading you. How about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the Bible says. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Being dependent on the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you. That's my prayer for all of us as a church. It's what will make this church powerful. There's no power in us but God's Spirit in you will make it powerful. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what God wants to do in all of us. And my prayer is that this morning, if you need that fresh overflow of God's Holy Spirit, that you'd stand to your feet right now and we could pray. If you don't need it, if you're full of God's Holy Spirit right now, I'm talking about you're overflowing with the Spirit of God, then you can remain seated. Stay in your seat. Hey. I'm full of him. Man, I, I had my time with the Lord this morning. I'm full of him. And there might be those of you that are here that could say that. By the way, I'm standing. I need more of him before I can even do this water baptism. And some of you are standing. And some of you are saying, I'm not judging. Lee, <laughs> I'm not judging. But if you're standing, then you're acknowledging and you're saying, I need more. I need more. I want more, I need more, and Lord, you want to give me more. And He will. 
How much more will your heavenly Father give that to those who ask? He will. And so we pray. And let's just lift up our hearts right now. I'm going to pray for you. You just come in an agreement with my prayer. And then you in faith believe that God is doing what he has promised in his word. That he in this moment is filling you. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine in excess. In other words, don't be controlled by some other substance. But be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. We're commanded as Christians to be full of the Holy Spirit. Not just a one time, but we need God's Holy Spirit each and every day. Father, we do come before you and we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that even now, Lord, as we consider our own hearts before you, that you would cleanse our hearts. That you would search me, search us, and see if there be any wicked way in us. Show us those areas that we have failed, that we have trespassed against you. And Lord, would you forgive me now? Would you forgive us now of all of our sin, all of our trespasses? Would you cleanse us, Lord, even now afresh by your shed blood that continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Would you empty me of myself? Would you humble me and empty me of myself that you might come into me in power, in full measure, that there would be less of me and more of you. And Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon me? Would you pour out your spirit upon each one here that is standing before you? Would you pour out your spirit in power? Lord, we're believing your word. We're believing your promise. That you want to pour out your spirit upon us. You want to give us the power that we need to be victorious. To be filled with you. To be a witness for you. And so we trust and we believe. And we go forth today. Lord, would you use us? Lord, we've asked you to fill us, and now, Lord, would you use us? Would you give us divine appointments? Would you open up doors of opportunity for us to open our mouth that we might uh, sense your power working through us? Lord, give us a soul this week to open our mouth. Let us speak forth the gospel. And we thank you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated.